everybody. My name is Bill Kiefer, and I want to welcome you to our podcast, Practical Wisdom from the Word of God. I believe the Bible is a book that God gave to us that's full of insights, wisdom, promises, and many other things that help us live daily life. So join me for the next few minutes as we look into the Word of God to find that practical wisdom we need today. Should the enemy try to condemn our fight, his righteousness will Praise God. Welcome again to Practical Wisdom from the Word of God. My name is Bill Kiefer, and I am privileged to have some time to spend with you today. We've been traveling, so it's been a little bit difficult to get content out, but we're back today, and we'll try and keep up with it as best we can. We've been talking about something that I think is important to you, to me, and to the body of Christ, and that is Israel's journey from the bondage that they were in in Egypt to the freedom and destiny that was there for them in the promised land. And we're looking particularly at the period of time where they were camped by the Red Sea. Now, there's something important that we need to understand about this. They were delivered from Egypt by great manifestation of the power of God, but then God told them to do something that caused the Pharaoh to think they were lost, and that is to wander a little bit until they came to a particular place, and he said, I want you to camp there, and that was right in front of the Red Sea. And when they camped there, uh, it, uh, the, the Pharaoh decided that they must be lost, so he came after them. He decided it wasn't such a good idea for him to let them go, and he wanted them back, and I think he wanted a little more than just having them back. I don't think all of them would have gotten back if any of them had gotten back. The last plague was the death of the firstborn of Egypt, and I believe that army would have been very, very angry. So we find Israel in a position where they were literally trapped, but it wasn't something that the devil did to them. Many times we think everything bad that happens, or every time we find ourselves in a difficult situation, we think it's the devil, but it's not always the devil. Sometimes God brings us to a position where we're going to have to trust him, and there are some specific reasons for that. In the case of Israel, the Egyptian army was the only thing that could keep them from the promised land, and God was going to deal with them permanently. One of the things that I want us to see about this situation and look at in our own lives is the fact that we often fight battles and often win them, but sometimes we have to fight the same battles over and over and over again. There are certain things that God can deal with that way, and it's not that important necessarily, but it's always better if we simply win the war. You see, Israel and Egypt were at war, and God had a place for them to go, and God had a purpose for this war, but if they didn't win the war, they weren't going to be able to do what God wanted them to do. I believe there's a time in our lives, and I think this is one of those times, both personally and corporately, where we need to start winning some battles. When I talk about winning war, or winning battles rather than wars, it's when we uh, confront the same problem over and over again. Sometimes it's a sin. Sometimes it's just a weakness in our life. Sometimes it's areas of disobedience, but we seem to go cyclically through the same things. Uh, and it can be anything. But the thing that we want really to have happen is if we're going to face a sin, for instance, we don't want to have to keep committing the sin and, and repenting and having God forgive give us. The good news is he will forgive us. The Bible says that if we confess our sin, he's faithful 
faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. And there's no uh, set number of times he'll do that. I believe he'll do it every time. But every time we open the door to things like sin in our lives, and it's not just sin, but when we open the door to things like that in our lives, we're opening the door to death. Now, I'm not talking about physical death. I'm talking about the influence of spiritual death that came upon man at the fall. And so when we sin, we open a door and that enables the devil to bring things into our lives that we don't want. If we could close some of these doors permanently, then the devil would not have that back door. The problem is most of the time, whether it's a sin or whether it's it's a tendency to fear or whether it's a tendency to doubt and unbelief, if that's there and we don't deal with it permanently, and it's difficult to do that. We don't always deal with everything permanently. I don't want to give you the wrong impression. But we can begin to win some of these wars. And there are times in our lives where God says, okay, now, now is the time we have to do that. And I believe that's what we're seeing here in the life of Israel. The only force that could keep them from their destiny in Canaan was the Egyptian army. So God said, I want you to camp here right by the Red Sea. And when the Egyptian army showed up, the people of Israel were terrified. I can't say that I blame them, but Moses gave them some good advice and it's advice that we need to heed. If you're facing a situation where you can't see any way out, listen to what Moses told the children of Israel. He said, fear not. Now, again, everyone gets afraid sometimes. There are periods in life where we're facing situations that will cause fear to rise. The difference between being afraid, and this is my definition, this is my way of saying it, but the difference between being afraid and giving into fear is whether we allow the fear to control our thoughts, our actions, and our words. If we can take control of our thoughts and actions and words, and begin to focus on the promise of God, and begin to remember what God has done in the past, then the fear will not be a controlling factor in our lives. Moses says, you need to get that under control. Then he says, stand still. Interesting uh, statement. It doesn't mean just, just don't go anywhere. It simply means stand still in terms of stand on the promise. Stand on what God is doing. Stand on your faith. Stand trusting and believing that God will get you out of this situation. I can't tell you how many times in my life I've looked at things and felt fear sometimes, but but had to determine that I'm going to keep trusting God and, and God is going to deal with this situation and change the circumstance however necessary. And I, I tell you that every single time and I'm talking 50 years, every single time God has done something to cause the thing to work out for our good and for us to get victory in that situation. Now, sometimes it took a while and sometimes there were some uh, some ticklish moments, we might say, some, some times when it didn't look too good, but it always worked out. That's my testimony to you. I can't say that, uh, that that's the case for you at this point, but if God did it for me, I can say he will do those things for you. So if you're facing that impossible situation, if you're looking at circumstances and just looking 
looking at the world, the world that we live in looks impossible to me. Maybe not to you, but to me it does. Our financial situation, our political situation, our cultural situation, the world situation. If you don't know what's going on, maybe you need to put down the social media and quit worrying about pop culture and begin to take a look at what's really going on in the world. If you're a Christian, this is a difficult place for you. And the whole tide of what's going on now is going against godliness, going against faith, and going against the Word of God. But that does not mean we are in an impossible situation, except that it means that maybe God has led us into something that looks impossible. We need to not fear. We need to focus on the promises of God. And then there was one other thing that Moses said, and I was going to get into what God told him to do uh, this time, but uh, I felt like God led me to something, and I, I want to remind you of it, and part of it relates to this idea of winning wars, not just battles. I, there are just some things I've gone over way too many times. I don't know about you. Some sins that have cropped up way too many times, and some that had cropped up for a very long time, but God helped me win the war. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And they're not an open door in my life anymore. And so we uh, need to look at the last thing that Moses said to them before uh, God spoke to Moses and reveals what they're going to do. Moses says, the Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Now we touched on this last time, and that is that God gave a promise through Moses to them. He didn't just ask them to put away fear and to stand uh, where they were. And part of that standing was don't go backward. Don't ever go backward. There's nothing there for you. But he didn't just say to do those things without giving them a promise. Through Moses' voice, he says, God is going to fight for you. So we want to look at both of those things. First of all, I want to look at this thing where Moses said, you will hold your peace. Now, I think there's two elements to this. On the one hand, I don't know about Moses. I know I would have been really upset with the people of Israel at this point. Think of what Moses has done. Think of how long it took him to get to the point where he could become the channel of the power of God for the people of Israel. And he had shown them something that no one had ever seen before. And the minute they get under stress, the minute things don't look so good for them, they begin to attack Moses. They begin to talk about how Moses shouldn't have brought them out. They begin to talk about about uh, that there were graves in Egypt, we'd rather have died there than here. And it was better in Egypt, we at least had leeks and garlic. And uh, Moses has got to be a little frustrated with this. And I think that's part of what he says. He tells them, you will hold your peace. When you see what God's going to do, you're going to shut your mouth. And that's what the term hold your peace means. It's kind of a nice way to say, be quiet. Quit your talking. Quit speaking this doubt and fear and unbelief. God is going to fight with you, but you're going to have to hold your tongue. And I believe that's part of what we need to deal with. The Bible says in Proverbs 18.21 that death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. There's another translation that says uh, that, that whichever we speak with our mouth, will cause us to make friends with that one. Whether it's life, we make friends with life. If we speak death, we make friends with death. Now again, I'm not talking about physical life and death. I'm talking about spiritual life, which is our union with God, which is what comes to us from God. Words that we speak that are centered in the Word of God, that are centered in our faith in God, will produce life in us. That means 
good things, the flow of God's power. But when we talk about death here, we're not talking about that if we say the wrong thing, we're going to die physically. We're talking about releasing another power. That is the power that came into the world when man fell in the Garden of Eden. If we make friends of death, that means we're opening the door to the to the effects of the fall, to the sickness, disease, failure, suffering, all of those things that came in. If we make friends with our words of that kind of death, then it will open the door for those things to come into our life. The other thing it does is if we are facing situations that were produced by that kind of death, then we then we enforce those situations and we maintain the status quo. We need to begin to realize that if we can use our words to begin to speak in terms of the promise of God, to speak in line with what the Word of God says, to declare our faith in God, then we will begin to see things change around us. There's a story of two women. One's name was Mary and one's name was Martha. And you may be familiar with them. In one case, they had a dinner for Jesus and Martha was worried about serving. She was busy. She was doing the work. She was getting the meal together. And her sister Mary was just sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to what he had to say. And Martha got upset. She said to Jesus, don't you think that Mary ought to get up and help me? I mean, I've got all these people to feed and I can't do this by myself. And Jesus looks at Martha and he says, says to her, and I can just see him shaking his head, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things. See, it wasn't wrong for her to be working. It wasn't wrong for her to be doing what needed to be done, but she was worried about it. She was troubled about it. She was bothered by it. She was not focusing on the right thing. Jesus said to her, Mary has chosen the good part, and it will not be taken away from her. Well, what was Martha supposed to do? At that point, I think Martha could have said, okay, Jesus, then the meal is up to you, and I'm going to sit and listen to what you have to say. If you recall, Jesus was able to feed 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fishes. Don't you think he could have done the same with that dinner party? But you see, Martha couldn't let go of the care of it. She couldn't let go of the worry of it. And in John chapter 11, we find these two sisters facing something even more difficult. Their brother was dead. Now, in the beginning of John chapter 11, we find that Jesus is in another land. He's doing certain things. He's got work to do. And he gets word that Lazarus is sick. But he does not just run to Lazarus' side and heal him. There are a number of reasons why. One, Jesus is never rushed by circumstances. Jesus will always make a decision and do what God leads him to do and then act how God calls him to act. And that's what we need to learn to do. Pray and act. Don't just react. And so uh, the disciples hear about this. And, and finally, when Jesus is done what he's doing in that place, he says to his disciples, we need to go where Lazarus is. And the disciples say, but uh, the people there want to kill you. That's not such a good idea. And Jesus says to them, well, Lazarus is sleeping. And they say, okay, well, great. We don't have to go. He's going to get better. But Jesus says to them, he's not sleeping naturally. Lazarus is dead. And then he says something interesting. He says, I'm glad that's the case because now you're going to see something different. What had happened? The same exact thing that happened to Israel. God had put Israel in a place where there was no 
way out except the power of God. God had put Lazarus and his sisters in a place and the disciples in the same place where there was no way out except the power of God. If they went to that place in the natural without the power of God, then probably they would have died. And there was nothing in the natural they could have done about it. But Jesus knew exactly the circumstance and he went to that place where uh, Lazarus was laid in the grave. When he got there, we see something very interesting. We see that Martha, you remember Martha, the one who was worried and troubled about many things. Martha is waiting for Jesus, uh, looking for him. She's outside the house and she's looking down the road to see where Jesus is. And when she sees him, she rushes up to him and she says something. She says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, in my opinion, Martha was not expressing her faith in God or faith in Jesus. She was expressing the fact that she was not very happy about this circumstance. They were contributors to Jesus' ministry. Jesus loved them. They loved him. They thought they had a special place, and she did not understand why Jesus hadn't come to heal Lazarus. And she says to him, listen, if you'd been here, I know we wouldn't have died, but the implication is you weren't here. Jesus says some things to her. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives, believes, and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now, this is an interesting question. He asks her a yes or no question, doesn't he? I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, you'll never die. He who dies will live. Do you believe this? And Martha doesn't answer him. She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Well, that wasn't the question. He says, do you believe that those who believe in me, though they die, they will live? She can't answer that. She doesn't believe that. She gives him, she gives him a good religious answer. And, and that's not wrong. What she says is not wrong. It's good doctrine. It's, uh, it's good theology. That is exactly what he was doing. She gave the right answer, but to the wrong question. And when she says that, the Lord says to her, uh, listen, please go get Mary. We know he said that because when Martha went to Mary, he says, the teacher has come and is calling for you. And the reason he said, go get Mary, is he knew that Mary tended to choose that good part. And if she was choosing that good part, something else was going to come out of Mary's mouth. And Mary was back in the house. I believe she was there with the same doubts and fears and wondering that Martha had. She didn't understand why Jesus hadn't shown up. She didn't understand why her brother had to die. She didn't understand any of it. But in her place alone with Jesus. I think she was still at his feet. Hallelujah. And I think she was looking up to him and saying, I don't understand any of this, Jesus. And and please help me and to get through this. And whatever she may have been saying, maybe she's just saying, Lord, I still worship you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for who you are. Whatever she was doing, when she got to Jesus, something interesting happened. When she came to Jesus, it says, that she fell down at his feet. Hallelujah. She's at the feet of Jesus again, saying to him, listen to the words, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I don't think it was a complaint. 
I don't think it was an expression of disapproval or doubt or fear. I think she said what she could say by faith. She said, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. I believe she was expressing her trust and faith in Jesus even at that moment. Now, Jesus didn't ask her anything. Jesus did not ask her if she believed that he who died uh, in him would live again. He didn't ask her anything. He didn't need to because what he felt from her was something we like to call faith. Hallelujah. And immediately, the Bible says he wept in himself. He felt what she was feeling. He identified with her. And then he said, take me to the place where he is laid. Hallelujah. See what's happened here. Martha made friends with death with her words. Martha was speaking what she thought was truth, what she feared was real. Mary simply said what she could believe. Hallelujah. There comes a time when we're trusting God where we need to keep still or just say what we can say by faith. I think there were probably a lot of things in Mary's mind, but she simply chose not to say them. And she chose to say the one thing that she knew beyond a shadow of doubt, that she could say by faith, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Hallelujah. And so Jesus, moved by that, says to them, take me to where he is. And when they get to the grave, he makes another statement and he declares to them, roll away the stone. But Martha's still there. Martha still hasn't come to that place of making friends of life with her word. And she says to Jesus, now I'm paraphrasing it a little bit, but she says, it's too late. It's been four days. He's already decaying. He stinks already. And Jesus looks at her and he says to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Hallelujah. I want to see the glory of God. Now, in all this, Mary hasn't said another word. There is no record of her saying anything. She knew it had been four days. She knew that there was probably the odor of death in that grave. She knew that it was too late, but she chose not to say anything. It's possible that she expressed all the faith she could express when she said, if you'd been here, he would not have died. You know, we don't have to have huge faith all the time. God knows where we are. God knows what we're dealing with. God knows our frame. He, the Bible says he knows we are but dust. All we need is to express all the faith that we can. Hallelujah. And there's a time to say what we can say by faith and then, and then just say no more. That's exactly what Mary did. And Martha kept trying to explain to Jesus why he was late, he was wrong, he couldn't do what he was trying to do. There was no point in opening this grave. Lazarus was dead. It's over with. Leave it alone. I'll forgive you. I still trust in you. She said that. I still believe you're the son of God. But this situation, it's over. It's done with. But Jesus didn't see it as done with. And so he shouts, Lazarus, come forth. And lo and behold, Lazarus comes forth. They saw something that was completely impossible. I believe there are parallels here in these two things. 
Israel was brought to a place where they were going to have to see the power of God or they literally were probably going to be completely destroyed. At best, they were going to end up back in slavery. Mary and Martha were brought to a place as well as Jesus' disciples because he said, since he died, you're going to see something special. And so they were brought to the same place. If God didn't move, if there was not a manifestation of the power of God, nothing was possible. Nothing good was going to happen. But you see, the promise that God gave to Egypt in that moment is the same promise that God gives to us. If we'll trust him, if we'll believe him, It's not us that fights the battle. It's not us that provides the power. Our problem is we think we've got to do it. We don't have to do it. God has promised to do it. Moses said to them, you're going to see that God will fight your battle, and you're not going to see these people anymore ever again. Hallelujah. What are we facing today? If we look at natural circumstances, certainly in the world, in in the body of Christ, in the country, all those things that we see in the news all the time, it looks to me, maybe you you don't think so, but it looks to me like there is no solution in the natural. I don't believe government is the solution. I don't believe education is the solution. I don't believe money is the solution. I believe we have been brought to a place where we must see the power of God in manifestation. Maybe you're facing death. Maybe you're facing a physical illness. Maybe you're facing a financial disaster. Maybe your family's a mess. Your marriage is a mess. Maybe you don't know what to do. Maybe you're you're in depression and discouragement and fear. We need to see the power of God, but here's the good news. You don't have to solve it. Run to him. Say by faith what you can. Go to the word of God and find the promises that God is speaking to you. All Israel had to do was trust in the promise that God would fight for them. They didn't have to do anything else. All Martha had to do was trust in the fact that Jesus said he is the resurrection and the life and those who die in him will live again. All she had to do was trust in that. She didn't have to explain to Jesus why it was impossible for him to do anything now. She simply could not see past the, the, the dire situation she was in. And that's our problem. We can't see past the immediate problem that we're facing today. What is that problem? God will fight for you. What do I have to do? I have to deal as best I can with fear. I have to make sure I don't let fear control me. I have to go to the promises of God. I have to meditate on what God has done in my life in the past. I have to remember that he's still God and whatever he did... 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 20 years ago, in my case, 50 years ago, he can still do it today. He has not left me. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me, and he'll never leave nor forsake you. And it's he who will fight our battles. All we need to do is trust in him, rest in him, and then obey what he tells us to do. Hopefully that'll be our next session, to look at what God told them to do and simply obey what he says Because you can't do it. You don't have the power, but you have a God who does have the power. Hallelujah. I like that. Well, God bless you. Have a great day in the Lord. Remember these things, and we're going to begin to win some wars in our world. I believe that. I believe God is getting ready to move, and I believe we're going to win some wars. And you can win your war over that thing that keeps recurring in your life. Fear not. 
Stand still on the promises of God. Don't go backwards and know that God is going to fight for you. So hold your peace and say only what you can say by faith. God bless you again. Have a great day in the Lord. And we'll talk to you again as soon as we can. This podcast is an outreach of Living Word International, a division of Intercession Ministries. If you'd like to contact us, you can do so via email at livingwordintgreen at gmail.com. That's livingwordintgreen at gmail.com. God bless you and have a wonderful day.